Where RA Now, a podcast dedicated to catching up with former RAs and hearing where their journey of life has taken them since their glory days at New York University. I am tonight's co-host, Rafaela Seward, a senior from Florida studying public policy and a second year RA in Greenwich Hall. And I'm Tom Ellett, the other co-host, and I serve as the Senior Associate Vice President of Student Affairs. Rafaela, welcome to the podcast as my co-host. It's great to have you. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. So tell me how a young person leaving Florida adapted to New York City. It was difficult. I will say I'm from a really small town. Uh, everyone knows everyone. And I got to New York. It's crazy. It's insane. You know, so much anonymity as well. And it was an adjustment. But I actually think being an RA was like one of the best things I've done because a lot of the things that I do in my small town I am like forced to do as an RA. So like talking to people in the elevator and like starting up small talk with people I can be myself again. That's great. Tell me about Greenwich. It's a little off the beaten path. Yes. (laughs) What's the best thing about living in Greenwich Hall? It's definitely the neighborhood I think and also because it's such a small community, you can really get to know each other. And I think in a lot of the bigger dorms, it's a different experience. And because, you know, there's only like about 300 residents, people really form friendships and relationships pretty easily. Do you like living in that part of town? I love it. Oh my gosh, I'm sad to go. It's um, really a dream. And I run into celebrities all the time. So Seriously? <laughs> who, who have you seen? Vanessa Bayer from SNL, Michael Sheen, it's always the most random, <laughs> random people. But That's yeah. incredible. Well, we have a superstar today as our guest, someone who's an NYU fame. Who do we have today? <laughs> yes, we have a great guest tonight. Our guest is Gracie Sarkeesian, who served as an RA in Alumni Hall as an undergrad, and then as a graduate student, again, she was an RA at Washington Square Village, and she worked for Emily Pettit and Lydia Kim during the years of 2003 to 2006. Excellent. Gracie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. It's great to have someone who is really bleeding purple. So tell us a little bit about how it all began. When you came to NYU, what were you studying? Yeah, so I came to NYU as an undergraduate student in the College of Arts and Science. I studied politics and psychology. After that, I I stayed, I worked here, I I did my master's here. I'm still here, so happy to chat more about that. Excellent. Were you involved in any um, extracurricular activities when you were at NYU? I was. I mean, I I worked a lot of part-time jobs, but I also had the opportunity to do research with a faculty member in the politics department. I was part of fellowship. I was part of the Armenian Club. I was an admissions ambassador. So I did try to get involved as much as I could. So what made you want to be an RA? And you might have multiple reasons. Yeah. So I came from a pretty small high school, and I really valued community. That was really important to me. And I think I started probably around the time that you started, Tom, and that was one of your mottos, always talking about building community in NYU, and that that really resonated with me. Uh, I wanted to be an RA since I got here as a freshman, so I studied away my sophomore year so that I could be an RA my junior and senior year. And I also, at the time, served as an undergraduate orientation leader. And back then, they don't do it anymore, but back then we spent the whole summer living in Weinstein Hall. I was an undergraduate orientation leader for the College of Arts and Science. Students would come for weekends throughout the summer, and we lived there. And that was just such a great experience of being part of a family and community, and similar to what the admissions ambassador program was. Just getting to work with other students and professional staff was really life-giving for me as a student at NYU. So what kind of relationships did I guess you have with both your residents and the students that you helped as an orientation leader? In both my RA roles, I was working with students 
new to New York. So either first year students at Alumni Hall or new graduate students uh, in Washington Square Village. So because students were new to New York, they were going through a lot of transition and I really wanted to make their residence hall feel home to them. So I spent a lot of time just trying to get to know them and making sure that when they came home, the, the stress and craziness of being in New York and being at NYU was something they could leave behind. What skills did you get from the RA role that you continue to utilize? And we're going to unpack what you're doing now, but yeah, yeah. what what do you get, what'd you gain? I think the program development work that you learn as an RA is truly invaluable. Being able to design, plan, and execute a program from start to finish, get feedback, assess it, do it differently next time. I think there are so many transferable skills there. And also crisis response, um, which... I don't think I ever really had to deal with until I was an RA. And to this day, I still have nightmares about being on call and forgetting to pick up the pager. I don't even know if you use a pager anymore. You probably use cell phones now. So it's funny that that's still a recurring nightmare. But but because of that, I'm still able to remain cool in in tough situations, whether they be professional tough situations or they be like with my children tough situations. You know, it's funny you say that recurring nightmares. My first role uh, ever was a dishwasher at a restaurant. And I still have dreams when the waiters and waitresses would come in and bring all of the trays and the pile would lie up and I'm like, oh my God, how am I going to get all these dishes done? So it's so interesting how formative early roles can play in terms of your Definitely. dreams and nightmares. Totally. So thinking about these transferable skills that you were just talking about, let's transition into your early career. So why did you go into higher education? So I was graduating just along alongside all of my friends and everyone was so excited to leave and I wasn't. I really loved the academy. I loved being around people who were the best at what they did, who loved what they did, who were constantly making new discoveries, who weren't satisfied with status quo and wanted to do more. And so I'm just really inspired to this day being in this environment. So you finish undergrad. Mm -hmm. And then what made you say, I got to stay for this particular graduate degree? So that's a funny story. I was offered a fellowship first, but I needed the graduate degree to do the fellowship. And so um, I applied to the program knowing that if I applied, I, you know, my tuition was covered. I had a really interesting role in the admissions office, helping to organize their recruiting events, running the ambassador program, which was so similar to a lot of the work that I had been doing. And it gave me a chance to learn something new, to, to be here. I was able to continue as an RA, which was so meaningful to me. So that's really why I went right away, because today in in my role, and we'll talk about my role later, I I often advise students not to go right away. But that's just kind of how the cards fell for me. Cool. So since you've been through the application process of getting into grad school, what do you think admission counselors look for in candidates? I know what I was looking for as a young admissions counselor were, were, were two, two things. The first is, can the student handle the academic rigor of the university? Are they going to come here and be successful? Because that's really, at the end of the day, we want our students to be successful and to thrive. And then the second thing was, are they going to contribute to the community here? Are they going to contribute to the diverse interests and scholarship that's happening here? And are they going to come here and, and make an impact? Or are they just going to you know, be, be one of the crowd? So admissions, did you have to travel a lot when you took on that role in admissions? I traveled a lot. I would be on the road three to four weeks at a time, you know, 
two cities a week, living out of a suitcase. And I, I was young. It was my first professional role out of school. And oftentimes I was meeting, I was not only meeting with students and parents, but I was meeting with directors of college advising offices. And most of the time, those were more senior professionals in their career. So I remember, you know, I would tie my hair in a bun, wear my glasses and wear a power suit just so that I could look a little bit older and, and not appear like I, I was an imposter in the role that I had. But those are really formative years for me. And I had to just read a lot of applications. Yeah. It's a really heavy load with the number of students that applied in New York University. A follow-up, what makes a good admissions counselor? So some of the students who are leaving NYU may go into the admissions yeah. field. What's it take to do that work? Yeah, so I think part of it is being able to communicate articulately. You are the oftentimes the first face and first voice of the university. So being able to represent the university well, having strong partnerships. You know, no one comes to you and says, I want to go to NYU, tell me about NYU. They want to know about a specific program or a specific course of study. So really making sure you know what the university has to offer, you stay on top of the, the changes. And then the other piece is just being able to focus and a commitment to the students. It's hard to read a lot of applications when you're not in it for the right reasons. So really wanting to, whether it's increasing and diversifying access for students, whether it's you know helping make college possible for someone who didn't think college was possible, I really think your motivations help you not only do a better job, but have more fun doing a difficult job. Mm, great. Totally. So since you have read so many applications, was there any one thing that really stood out to you as being like something really impressive, maybe the way someone wrote their resume or presented themselves at an interview, like yeah. any one thing? <laughs> Every time I read an application, I think, you know, why, why was I not that good? Why was I not doing that at that point in my life? Our students are impressive. They've started nonprofits. They figured out ways to take dirty dishwater and turn it into clean plant food. I mean, really the innovations that our students are doing are really amazing. What always impresses me the most are students who have, have failed or have had to d deal with a difficult situation and have tried again. Really that resilience to me is most impressive and it's often most indicative of how successful that student will be throughout college. Oh, that's great. And so you have seen a change in the students from when you were a student to you're working with students today. For sure. So now I work with students in a different capacity and you know our students are articulate. They have experiences that 10, 15 years ago students didn't have access to. They have access to information in a way that we didn't have in the past. You know if they have a great idea they can make it public. They could put it out there whereas years ago that wasn't that wasn't done so easily so the competition is tough noted no <laughs> no that's really awesome though I, I really like it when I hear about other peers like doing awesome things so Gracie it's been great talking to you so far we're gonna take a short break but when we come back we're gonna jump into your current role and give us the secrets to landing the ideal job <laughs> Hello there, I'm Michelle Pomeroy, an RA alum, and I'm happy to tell you briefly about Bellyfire Productions. It is the video production and photography company that I now run in New York City and other parts of the country and around the globe. So while our main base is here in New York, we do work with social impact organizations the world over, nonprofits, foundations, individuals that are looking to drive social change in their communities. Reach out if you have any questions. Bellyfireproductions.com is a website. You can find my contact there. Or if you're just interested in learning more about production and photography, I'm more than happy to answer questions and help you on that journey as well. Welcome back, Gracie. 
Uh, we've just heard about your early experiences with NYU, helping to recruit students here, your grad school experience. But now we're going to go in a little bit further to your transition to the Wasserman Center mm -hmm. for Career Development. That was an intentional decision for you to leave admissions mm -hmm. and change careers. We hear a lot that students will change careers multiple times. Walk us through how that career change happened for you and then we'll unpack what you're doing now. Yeah, um, so I didn't go to the Wasserman Center thinking I wanted to go into career development. Uh, after my graduate program uh, and some years working in admissions, I really was interested in organizational development and leadership and I wanted to go into the corporate world. And I had a colleague tell me, you know, you should connect with someone at Wasserman, they'll give you they'll give you a good advice, they're really well connected. And so I spoke to someone there and they said, you know, I think you should work here. And while you were meeting with them? While I was meeting with them. And there happened to be a few open roles. I applied, I worked out, I started as a young career coach and have worked my way up there. And it really has turned out to be a great fit. I was able to take the pieces I loved about recruiting and admissions and supporting students' access to higher education. And now I get to help students think about social mobility, right? It doesn't matter what you come to NYU it doesn't matter what your background was when you came to NYU, you can do anything you want when you leave here if you're prepared and if you approach it the right way. Awesome. So can you tell us a little bit more about what you do on a day-to-day -day in your role to help students, you know? Yeah. Yes. I'm currently the senior director of the Wasserman Center. So in my role, I oversee undergraduate career development and employer engagement. So what that means is I'm overseeing career coaching initiatives, career education and industry programs um, here in the U.S. and also at our global sites. And then the other piece of my job is really cultivating relationships with employers in New York City, across the country, and around the world, making sure that I'm helping them develop strong pipelines of talented NYU students so that year upon year they're hiring NYU students. But I'm also working to make sure that we have opportunities in the industries where NYU students want to work. So that's constantly keeping me on my toes. And I would imagine your role continues to evolve as industries are created that weren't there two years ago, three majors at NYU yeah. that weren't here, that you have to help prepare that student ready for that role that wasn't existing exactly. a few years ago. Exactly. So, you know, sometimes new academic programs are created and we need experiential learning opportunities for those students. They need to be able to practice what they're learning in the classroom outside. And so oftentimes programs are created at a rate that's faster than jobs are in the industry. So we're constantly working to make sure that our students can build skills outside the classroom to go along with what they're learning in the classroom. As a follow-up to that, how do you stay current on the knowledge necessary in those new majors, in yeah. those new careers, and those new industries? Because you yeah. have to keep your learning as yeah. much as the students are. Yeah, and actually that's... I, I, I do. I have to read a lot. I have to stay on top of industry news a lot. We have several subscriptions at home. You know, I, I joke around. My husband loves The Economist. And as he reads through it, he circles the articles that he thinks I'll care about. And then he hands it to me. And then I read those articles because he knows I probably won't have the time or patience with two young children to, to read through all of it otherwise. But really paying attention to what's happening and then making sure our students are building skills that are transferable. Because the job, I don't mean to jump ahead, but the job market is changing, right? The jobs that exist today aren't necessarily going to be the jobs that exist 20 years from now, even 15 years from now. So we need to help our students and graduates 
build the skill of agility and adaptability, right? Throughout your career, no matter what, you're going to be having to learn new skills. We all do, otherwise we, we are stagnant, right? I can't give good advice to a student if I don't know what the trends are in industries. So I have to spend a lot of time talking with employers in different industries. I'm constantly learning, which is why I think I love this work and I've been able to do it so long because I'm always learning something new and I always have to pivot and change my approach. That's great. Yeah, so given that, you know, the job field is always changing, the academic choices at universities are always changing, it can be really challenging for students, you know, trying to get a job. So to you, like, what mistakes do you see people make as they're trying to get a job? And what surprises you most about some college students' preparation? Okay, so that's a great question. You know, I think NYU students are so smart and so driven, but they don't always do the best job of articulating the value they would bring to an organization or they approach a job search saying, well, I don't really have experience in this, but I really would be interested in doing it and I can learn quickly. That's great, but the job of a candidate is to really get to know the employer. What are the skills that employer seeks? What are the skills that employer values? And how have you displayed those skills? You don't have to display those skills in a traditional way. Maybe you displayed them in the classroom. Maybe you displayed them at your internship. Maybe you displayed them in your part-time job, or maybe you did it in your role as an RA, right? You can't assume that because you don't have the cookie cutter experience or you haven't followed the cookie cutter path to a role that you're not qualified for that role. And I think if students approached it more talking about why, what uniquely qualifies them for a role, what makes them different from other candidates, yet still a strong candidate is really what's going to help them stand out. Right now is uh, OCR or on-campus recruitment. On recruitment, yeah. Yes. Um, what should candidates know about potential employers when before they're going to sit down at that table? Mm -hmm. What kind of homework do they need to do? Yeah. Research, research, research. Um, know the organization, understand their different um, hiring timelines, understand what they're looking for in candidates, understand the role that you're applying to and how it fits into the overall picture of the organization. And for your own sake, try to get a good sense of the culture and values of the organization and whether they align with yours. I think the sooner you figure that out, um, the sooner you can find your best fit kind of role. Cool, thank you. Um, so what skills do employers look for or you know value the most? Because I've heard people say you need the hard skills, you need to know SQL and like things you know <laughs> that um, are you know quote mm -hmm. unquote like more valued today. So in your opinion, what are those skills? Yeah. So I will clarify and say you need to know SQL if your job is going to require you to use SQL. If not, you don't need to use SQL. My husband needs to know SQL. I don't. So it really depends on, on your role. The number one thing I hear, and I ask employers all the time, what do you want in candidates? What are you looking for? And over and over again, I hear critical thinking, communication skills, collaboration, leadership. And I think the most important is the ability to adapt, just that agility, like I said earlier, being able to learn quickly, being able to pivot when necessary. That's really what's going to help you stand out and be successful regardless of the role that you're learned in. So I get the offer, or I get the interview. Mm -hmm. I'm really nervous. Yeah. What do I need to do to be prepared to focus on what I need to focus on yeah. and not myself sitting awkwardly in a chair mm -hmm. talking to someone yeah. I don't know? Yeah. Interviews are tough. And oftentimes I tell students to kind of play a little mental game with yourself and reframe it in your head. It's a conversation that you're getting to know them, they're getting to know you. And so if you think of it as a back and forth, 
you're going to be a little more successful. The other thing, and this is what I think holds students back so far in interviews, is just be yourself. Don't try to be perfect. You know, I, I, you're both staring at me now. I'm someone who talks with my hands a lot, right? If I focus on not talking with my hands, I'm not going to be able to focus on what I'm telling you. I'm only going to be able to focus on not talking with my hands. So I play a little trick. I always hold a pen when I'm on an interview because if I hold a pen, I see the pen flying around in my face and that's a nice reminder for me to put my hands down. So I tell students, don't focus on the tiny things. Focus on your message. Before you go into that room, know your strengths, know the two or three things you want to make sure you get across to the employer and get those skills across to the employer and remember that you don't know who makes a decision at the end of the day so be nice to everyone from the second you leave your apartment that door that that day you don't know if the person at the re reception desk has a great relationship with the hiring manager and if you are not kind to them that will get around so really think about every interaction that day the interview starts when you leave your apartment great advice so how important do you see graduate school in today's market? That's a great question and it's on the mind of a lot of students. And the answer is that it depends on the industry, it depends on the role, right? It, it, graduate school can often be very powerful coupled with some work experience and at the right moment in, in your educational experience, at the right moment in your professional experience. So think about the timing, I think that's important. And also there's a lot of opportunities now for integrated work learning or learning alongside your professional role, whether it be through an online course, whether it be through something your organization offers, whether it be through some, LinkedIn offers lynda.com. So there's a lot of ways to keep your skills up to date as you're thinking about graduate school. So to piggyback on that idea, how would you advise someone who wants to change careers or you know continue learning to kind of take a career shift? I think a lot of people go through this and ask this question and I think more and more will continue to as the as the market changes. I always say when you want a new career, identify what makes someone successful in that, that new career. Talk to as many people as you can, have inter informational interviews, learn about the, the key players, the key employers in those industries and learn about what a typical day is like. Then ask yourself, how, what are the skills I need to learn? What's my learning curve in order to be successful in this industry? How can I start learning those skills in my current role before I even start applying? Because then when you do apply, you have some tangible experiences to talk about. There are positions that are posted that require a certain amount of experience before mm -hmm. I apply for this. Is it good advice or should people not apply for those jobs if it says, I'm just coming out of undergraduate and there's a three to five year experience required. Should I yeah. still apply for those jobs? Yeah, that, that's really tricky. And I always say if you meet like 80% of the qualifications apply. And, and what I mean by that is if it says five years of experience and you're just coming out of college, you probably shouldn't apply for that role. They're looking for someone who's a little bit more seasoned. However, if it asks for two years of experience and you have been an RA for two years, you've held other part-time jobs and internships while you've been in college, give that one a try. Um, do you have any alternative ideas? Because I'm someone also who has looked at a ton of job postings and I see you know, two years experience, three years experience. So I'm thinking like potentially fellowships um, or freelance work kind of to build up more professional experience post-grad that could potentially you know, take up that time that to gain skills that they want to see. What's your opinion on sort of like alternative routes? 
you know, I think the gig economy is growing. More and more people are doing freelance type roles. I think for developing certain skills, it's especially valuable, even if you have a full-time job, right? If you're someone who wants to do more writing and you're not having that opportunity in your current role, there's lots of opportunities to write for online magazines, to do some editing, to build up that skill while you're either job searching or while you're in a role that maybe isn't allowing you to cultivate that skill. I'm in the final stages uh, in my interview, mm-hmm. and they ask me the question, do you have any questions for us? What should I have in my back pocket that I can pull out and say, yeah, this is, a, and, and employers will think it's a very thoughtful question. Yeah, so I think that's the key, Tom, you said it. Employers need to feel like the question was thoughtful. So make sure you know, you've done some research on their website. Find something on their website specifically to ask them about. If they've been in the news, and you, you can talk about that. If they've been in the news for something bad, I might not talk about that. Um, but if you've noticed it there in the news, it's something always good to bring up if you know that there was a new merger or if they have a new product coming out, always asking about those things. Um, and I think showing that you care about professional development matters. Some candidates ask, you know, well, what's my growth opportunity in this role? And, you know, asking that immediately and abruptly, I wouldn't ask it that way because it can come across as I'm not interested in this job, I just want the next job. But talking about your interest in growing in that field and in that industry and what opportunities are there for professional development, what opportunities are there for ongoing learning in that role. Great question. Yeah, also to piggyback on that, I've been in interviews where I've interviewed in the same day with two different people, and I'm always thinking, should I try to tell them both different information so it doesn't sound like I'm just saying the same thing twice, so when they talk about it, they're not like, oh yeah, we talked about that too. Like, should I try to diversify my answers? What's your opinion? Yeah, it's a great question. I think if you have a lot of experiences to draw from, take advantage of that, right? You can talk about different things with with each of them. But if you have some key strengths, experiences that you want to make sure you highlight um, that really will give them a good picture of who you are as a candidate, it's absolutely fine to share the same story. Now time, I get the offer. (laughs) What should I be thinking about in terms of the negotiation process of salary and then, if there is no negotiation of salary, are there other benefits that I should be thinking about that would be helpful for me to pivot mm-hmm. and ask about rather mm-hmm. than the salaries determined? Yeah. So the, the first thing you should do when approaching any negotiation is to make sure you do your research. Because I, I always recommend that students negotiate when possible, especially women. Any women who are listening to this podcast, please do not undervalue yourself. Negotiate your salary. But do it so in a realistic way, right? You can't ask for... $100,000 if you are applying to an entry-level job in media and communications. Those jobs don't pay $100,000. But if you've done your research and they offer you a number that's a little bit lower than what you expected, you can say, you know, thank you so much. I'm so excited for this role. You know, based on the research I've done, the the numbers I'm seeing are closer to X, Y, and Z. Is this is this negotiable? Can you meet me halfway? Can you get a little closer to that? And so I think um, the mistake uh, folks often make is that they negotiate too soon. I always say try to talk about salary as late as possible because early on in the interview process, if you start talking about salary, no one knows you that well. They're going to say, who the heck is Rafaela? You know, no way. I, the, 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 this, we're not going to go any further in the interview process. But after 
after a first round interview and a second round interview and emails and phone calls, they've gotten to know you, they're invested in you, they're impressed with your skills and your strengths. And then there might be they might be willing to give a little bit more. Remember, when you have an offer, the, the ball is in your court, they are not going to take away an offer because you negotiate. So it never hurts to negotiate. Tom, you asked about what are other things beyond salary that you might be able to negotiate. And what I'm seeing most often at where employers um, nowadays are willing to negotiate are around flexible work arrangements. So if that's something that you value being able to work remotely once or twice a week, being able to have some sort of creative hours in order to make the role work for you, that many employers are willing to do that. So say that you do choose to negotiate, is there a certain margin or a threshold, like only ask for an additional 10,000 or only ask for an additional 5,000? Like how do you navigate how much more to bump it up based on what they they gave you? Yeah, so it comes back to doing your research, right? If they really lowballed you and offered you $10,000 less than what you're seeing, you can say, you know, in my research, I'm seeing most entry-level roles in this field are paying closer to X, um, and then you can ask them to meet you in the middle. I mean, you have to think about what's the bottom line for you. Um, and and a, a salary is, is just compensation. It has nothing to do with your value or your worth as an employee. And the trick is not to make the salary conversation emotional, right? You don't want to make it about your worth and value to that organization. You want to make it just about that, you know, that's what's being offered. And this is what I need to accept this role. You've mentioned a couple of times doing research where does an undergraduate do research to find out what going rate is for this field or that field? Yeah, yeah that's a great question. And as, and as an NYU student and NYU alumni, you have access to so many resources um, through your Handshake account. So if you haven't activated your Handshake account, do that immediately, both students and alumni. There's a tab called Career Center, and under the Career Center tab, there's several different resources, everything from industry guides, what are typical interview questions, what are typical salaries like, what what are you know jobs in high demand at the moment. So take advantage of all those resources, and there's certainly professional associations and resources online that you can take advantage of, but what, what we put on Handshake is highly curated, and, and I think can, you'd find really helpful. What are the biggest uh, red flags employers look for? Red flags employers look for. So, you know, I always tell students, you don't have to have experience you in one field to or to, to work in that field, right? You can take a major in one area and apply to a job in another area and, and be totally qualified as long as you're able to articulate the skills that you bring. What employers don't like is when they don't understand why you applied to that role. When they look at your resume, they look at your cover letter, and it looks like you woke up this morning and you decided you were interested in business or media or consulting or whatever it might be. Employers are looking for students who have a common thread in their experiences and can articulate what ties their experiences together. So that really is, is, is probably the, the biggest complaint of employers. It, I, how can I believe you that you're interested in this role if, if nothing in your past experience shows me that? Networking. How important is it mm -hmm. in this world we live in today? So networking, I feel like, is such a polarizing word. People love it or, or hate it. And we do an event at, at Wasserman called um, Networking for Introverts, which I love. So networking is really relationship building. So I like to refine You know, people think of networking as I have to go into a room and talk to a bunch of people, and I hate doing that. Those are, those are good opportunities to meet and connect with folks, but they're not 
always the best opportunities or the most impactful opportunities. So networking is talking to your fellow RA, getting to know them, getting to know their interests. Networking is talking to your classmate. Um, networking is talking to your faculty member. When you're at your internship or part-time job, networking is talking to the people around you and really learning about themselves, their interests, learning more about that role. Talking to alumni, there are so many great ways to connect to NYU alumni. It'll help you learn about industries. It'll help you expand the folks you know in that industry so that when it's time to apply, you have a group of people who know a little bit about you and can advocate for you. So really, I think if we think about networking, um, like building relationships, it's a little bit less daunting. No, totally, because sometimes I feel like it has to be kind of like a transaction that's going to advance my career on the spot. And now like listening to you, it makes more sense, like just forming friendships. kind yeah. of. So. And asking yourself, what value can I add to this person right now? Right. I'm the one who needs the job, but they might be someone who needs a little social media help or needs a student perspective on something. And that's something I can offer this individual. So always ask yourself, what value can I add for this person? Cool. So back to you. What are you most proud of in your career to date? That is a good question. Um, there's, there's a few things. You know, I, I started the first class program at the Wasserman Center, which is um, a professional development and mentorship program for first-generation college students. So I'm, I'm proud of that. We won a NASPA Excellence Award. I helped grow the Wasserman Center internship grant. So when I started working at Wasserman, we gave out eight internship grants a year. So the Wasserman Center internship grant is a $1,000 grant for students pursuing internships in historically unpaid industries. And we want students not to give up these great learning opportunities because maybe they need a part-time job. So we started offering this grant. So we used to give eight, and after many grant proposals, and I was writing grant proposals not knowing what a grant proposal was in my 20s, and we now have 500 grants that we give out each year. Wow. So that's something I'm really proud of. And then at the end of the day, I'm, I'm really proud of the, the working with the students who've had a really hard time finding a job and helping them figure out what it is they love and what they want to do and, and getting a job. At its core, higher education, for those who really love it, it's really about helping that one student. Mm -hmm. And that's what gives us the joy, truly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. great. Let's do shout out time. Do you stay yes. connected with any of the RA alums or professional staff that you worked with? If so, who? Who? Okay, so I I work with a lot of former RAs. Nick Jensen in your office is one of them. I actually probably stay in touch with more of my residents than other RAs. You can um, shout them out too. Yeah, um, Ope Bacola is a, is, was a student that actually, after I graduated undergrad, I mentored while I was in graduate school. And she is a super impressive entrepreneur in educational technology. My roommate in alumni is, has become one of my best friends in the world. I went to her wedding in Greece, so my kids call her auntie. So some of my best friends I've met at NYU because of being an RA. And, a, and another interesting story, you know Leah Lattimore, who is um, an AVP here at NYU. We were both living in the same floor of Brittany our freshman year at NYU, so we've known each other since our freshman year at NYU because of uh, Res Life. That's fantastic. So given that you've kept up all these relationships, going back to the beginning, what were some of the most memorable moments, either you know, as in your time as an RA or now helping RAs and students now? Yeah, you know, I think one of the coolest experiences of being an RA is being on a on a, a part of a professional staff as a student, right? There are very few roles that allow you to be on the same team as folks who are full-time working at NYU. So really getting to learn from their experiences and 
you're with them more than just a, it's not a nine to five job being an RA. So you really get to know people. You get to work together in a way that you wouldn't. Um, you kind of collaborate in, in work and in life, which I think is, is, is really cool. So important. Now it's time for speed rounds. Yes. Favorite tradition at NYU. Oh man, I used to do, we don't think we do midnight breakfast anymore, right? Oh, I used to no, love midnight. <laughs> did you go abroad? I did. I went to Paris. It was the best experience of my life. Favorite NYU professor? He's not here anymore. He went to Michigan and then Texas A&M, but Professor William Clark. Any celebrity sightings as an NYU student? I think I saw the entire cast of SNL as an NYU student. Wow. And finally, any last memorable RA experiences that you want to pull upon? Yes, I was an RA during the big New York City blackout. I remember it well. Yes, and actually I was very fortunate because I just had an internship interview that morning and I was taking the subway back downtown to alumni where I lived. As I walked out of the subway, power went out. People were stuck on the trains for hours. I got out just in time. And then I got into my building and it was like people were taking showers in the in their sinks. Um, it was but it was you know it was a really great time to come together, help our residents. We smelled terrible we looked terrible but it's one of my most memorable experiences there you go. overall bonding i'm sure yes lots of bonding so gracie thank you so much for spending time with tom and i to discuss your journey and where your life after nyu has taken you i guess in your case you're still with nyu which yeah. is super awesome as always thanks to our listeners who can stay connected with ra alums who are living the dream school alumni version of their lives gracie you are an outstanding professional and, and more importantly a great person. So we're very blessed to have you at NYU. Thank you for what you're doing for all our students and for our staff. Well, thank you, Tom. And I'm lucky to get to work with folks like you who are so committed and learn from folks like you every day. So thanks, thanks for that. Absolutely. Special thanks to my engineer, Juliana Fonseca Lesso, the executive director, Duncan Lemieux, and executive producer, Shahara Ranasang, and to the current professional staff and the alums like Emily Pettit and Lydia Kim. And David Perez. And David Perez, my friend from Syracuse, tenured now, mm-hmm. who helped these RAs in skill acquisition along the way. If you like tonight's show, look for more content on the newly unveiled NYU RA alumni website at where-ra-now.webflow.io, which lists RA favorite books, picks of all-time favorite memories of being an RA, accomplishments, and ways to be mentored. Until next time, your path will offer lots of roads to take, take risks, and you may be somewhere where you never expected to go. Good luck and good night. Good night.